HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Barterhouse Wines. Well, I think I think part of the sourcing process to me is the most exciting because you you know you rent a car and you drive through the south of France and you know you obviously have some appointments set up, but you know some of the most exciting things happen when you're just kind of winging it and you meet a farmer at you know a wine fair and he's you know he says well come back to my come back to my estate and you're not quite sure where you're going you follow a guy in a peugeot you know up a rambling hill and all of a sudden you you come across either a castle or like a shack in the woods and the guy's making wine out of the back of his you know house or he could be making wine out of a major estate you know looks are deceiving but you you want to you want to assume that someone with a very established chateau is making good wine, but nine times out of ten, the guy out of the garage who's like super passionate is making these better wines and they're maybe more, more rustic and less polished. So to me, like the restaurateur, the sommelier, this story resonates with them about the small farmer, you know, the guy who's making wine um, on small quantities, 80 cases, 100 cases. Those are the things exciting to Barterhouse and hopefully the things exciting to our clients. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Monday afternoon to everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger, and today we are going to be talking about the ocean state, um, the state of cheese in Rhode Island. Um, and uh, we're happy to have on the show, we have two guests. Our first guest is going to be James Hines, who's the executive director of Rhodey Fresh, uh, a dairy and fresh milk uh, cooperative in Rhode Island. And then in the second segment of the show, we're going to be talking with Luella Hill, who is the co-founder of Narragansett Creamery. Um, so, But before we get rolling, um, Sophie has dug up some interesting Rhode Island trivia <laughs> that we're going to go yes. over. All right, so so to start off, as Anne said, it's the ocean state because 14% of the total area amounts to bays and inlets, so bodies of water, and, and it's also the smallest state in the U.S., which is kind of cool for how much water 
It's always it has. The, it's the one I always forgot in elementary school. I was yeah. like, wait a second, what's uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um highest density of coffee slash donut shops. I think they might mean Dunkin' Donuts or, or a place kind of like that per in the in the whole country, and and uh, which also might be why the state drink is coffee milk, which apparently Ooh. is milk infused with coffee syrup. Amazing, so, yeah, Co- coffee milk, sweet and and caffeinated. <laughs> sounds is, good to me. Yeah, um, and then and then another fact, which is much more pertinent to our show, <laughs> um, is that between 1972 and 2003, the number of dairies in Rhode Island dropped from about 90 to down to 22 um and then much earlier in the 20th century there were over you know a couple hundred dairy dairy farms so wow yeah maybe that's something that we'll get into a little bit today absolutely well i think there would be nobody better to help us answer that question uh um than uh than james Are, are you with us Yes, I am, Ann. And uh, do you go by James or Jim? I didn't. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Either one. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> all right. I'm, yeah. Some people call me Annie. Some people call me Ann. It's, uh, it's all. Right. It's all good to as me. Long as, as long as they buy roadie fresh milk, I don't care what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about roadie fresh, about what you sh- what you do, and how you got started? Okay, be happy to. Uh, Back around, uh, the, uh, I know maybe some of you, are, are your listeners, are familiar with the Northeast Dairy Compact. And uh, when the compact expired, um, our dairy farms, like many farms throughout the Northeast and throughout the whole country, were going out of business at a fairly rapid rate. The economics wouldn't, were just not there for dairy farming. Right. Now, so actually, farmers in Rhode Island got together and formed a cooperative to determine how they were going to, uh, you know, weather this storm, and they decided to market their own milk. Wow! And so, well, that's uh, so the Northeast Dairy Compact. I don't know. Could you explain a little bit about what that is? Because I, I, I actually haven't heard of that before. Okay, the Northeast Dairy Compact was a. Uh, legislation that was uh, drafted uh, within the six New England states to require uh, sellers of milk to uh, basically put aside a certain amount of money from their sales and return it to the compact, and then that was then returned to dairy farmers in New England. Ah, okay. Okay, so it was a little bit like a co-op in some ways. But yeah. Okay. So anyway, we, um, we decided uh, we were losing money, and uh, what could we do? And, you know, the first thing was, well, let's put up a milk plant. But wait a minute, we don't have any money. How are we going to do that? Right. So we came up with a model that, uh, to market our milk using existing businesses and uh, working with a number of local businesses, uh, uh, the Agrimont Cooperative, which uh, distrib- uh, distributes, um, I would say, the majority of milk in uh, New England and New York for dairy farmers and uh, a dairy uh, processor in Connecticut, uh, Guida Dairy, uh, Tomaquag Valley Trucking. That's a company that picks up the milk and delivers it to the processors. And Little Roadie Foods, uh, egg processor uh, that uh, delivered eggs in the uh, Rhode Island area. And working with those existing companies, we were able to get our milk to the processor, bottled and then distributed and sent to the stores without uh, violating any provisions of the federal marketing order. 
That's really interesting. So you didn't have to seek funding for your own processing plant. You basically used existing distribution routes and existing processing facilities to uh, right. to do your bottling for you. Correct. That's, yeah, that's we did, really smart. Um, we, yeah. we tried to get a federal grant a couple of times, and unfortunately we kept on getting denied. So we ended up going to the Rhode Island Economic Development Corporation, uh, the farmers put up the land, the one thing that they did have, and they borrowed $125,000 to use as startup funds to do the cottons and the advertising. In fact, one very important uh, uh, aspect of our marketing was uh, we hired a professional uh, marketing company, uh, a company called Cody and D'Ambrosio, and they uh, helped us uh, basically changed the direction. We were going to be the proud cow of Rhode Island, and uh, thanks <laughs> to their intervention, we uh, became roadie fresh and uh, <laughs> had a, a much, much different outlook, and um, they did a great job of developing our cottons, developing our, 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 some of our, our marketing uh, ideas. Wow. So how many people, if I can ask, how many people um, were a part of the initial startup and how many are there now? And who really, and who spearheaded this whole thing? Because it's incredibly, uh, you know, collaborative and it's amazing that everybody kind of got together. Yeah. Uh, And somebody once says it takes a village and it did here. Um, When we first, I think the farmers uh, together, uh, I had been working in the state of Massachusetts, and we had been working with another group. Uh, I was the director of uh, agricultural development. We worked with a group in western Massachusetts called Our Family Farms that followed the same model. So we, uh, I left uh, Massachusetts and started working with the Rhode Island dairy farmers, and we adopted the model a little bit and uh, decided and went forward. Um, and well, let's see, we started marketing our, our milk in uh, ju- um, July of 2004. And as far as help, we got help from so many people. Uh, the, uh, Ken Ayer is the uh, director of uh, agriculture of the Division of Agriculture in Rhode Island, was tremendous, gave us tremendous support. Again, Agrimark was uh, tremendous in their help. Wow, and so, and then how many, yeah, how many members did you start with in 2004, and how many members uh, well, do you have now? We invited every farmer in the state to join us, but only time and the effort to do it. Okay, okay. And now there, we have eight members. Again, we asked the remaining members to, uh, of the, to join us, uh, and uh, only four said yes. Hmm. Interesting. And so for farmers not part of your network, are they just part of the commodity market structure, or do they yes. sell value-added products? No. Uh, there are two dairy farmers in Rhode Island that are uh, uh, do value-added themselves. They do. They are, are producer dealers, uh, the Wright's, di- farm, Wright's Dairy Farm. They do everything. They have uh, baked the best cakes. In fact, when we had our first anniversary, we got our cakes from Wright's Dairy Farm. <laughs> and then there's Aruda Dairy in Tiverton. They're uh, producer dealers, so they bottle and market their own milk. But um, the federal uh, marketing order prohibits a group of farmers from doing that collectively. Huh. Oh, interesting. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, about Agrimark um, and them helping you guys out? Because I feel like, you know, they're pretty big. Uh, they're, right. You know, they're more they're more traditional or more commodity based. And and how does that relationship work? 
Well, um, we work uh, with that. We've always worked with Agrimark. Most of our members are working with Agrimark, and Agrimark has lost uh, quite a few members because a lot of the small farmers were going out of business. And the one thing Rhode Island has was customers, so uh, they gave us a tremendous amount of support. Bob Wellington uh, came to a number of our early meetings and gave us uh, uh, advice as far as what we can and should do. And uh, we... uh, it was great, and they helped us uh, as far as making sure that our milk gets into the uh, the, the, the right the processing facility that we, we that is processing our milk, and you know, and they the, they I guess it was uh, they've had wanted um, you know knew they were, they were losing members, and this was a way of uh, maintaining some of the smaller members. Absolutely, and then um, in terms of logistical operations could you touch on a little bit about kind of what's involved in getting the milk from the farm uh, to the consumer all right well uh we start out with producing the milk on the farms and uh, as i mentioned there's a company called tomaquag valley trucking mm-hmm. who also happens to be a, a dairy farm uh that's one of our members and tomaquag valley trucking picks up the milk at all of the farms in rhode island and then it ships it uh, to the processing facility in Connecticut. They uh, pasteurize it and uh, standardize it and then package it. We then again use uh, Tomaquag Valley Trucking to take the finished product and move it back to our distri- distribution point in Foster, Rhode Island. And their Little Rhodey Foods uh, loads it on their trucks, and then distributes to all. We have, a, I think it's something like 150 customers throughout Rhode Island. Wow. And how many customers did you start with in the very beginning, do you know? I think it was like seven or eight. Wow, yeah. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah grown, we, it's grown We started fast. out with some of the, uh, the uh, small independent markets, and uh, the people of Rhode Island, they were so, so supportive. We got quite a bit of uh, support. I remember the governor from the state came down to one of the markets. And, uh, you know, just some of the publicity we got, uh, the people of Rhode Island kept on asking for our products. So eventually all the major markets, uh, you know, um, came on board. That's fantastic. And so um, do you see, uh, you know, do you see yourselves growing to a a certain size or or do you think that it'll just kind of uh, stay where it is for for the foreseeable, you know, for the next couple of years? Or how do you see the growth working? If we don't try to grow, we're going if we don't if we don't try to improve ourselves, uh, we're going to be going backwards. So we definitely feel like uh, we we need to grow. We're working with the with the. uh, a number of people to try to get in. One of the str- our strongest supporters has been the colleges, uh, the colleges in the state of Rhode Island, some of the private colleges like Brown was uh, on early, early on, Roger Williams University, um, just uh, Providence College, Salve Regina, a number of the colleges, Rhode Island School of Design, how can I ever forget them, <laughs> decided to take Roadie Fresh and, 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 and market it. So we're continuing to try to grow that our business that way, and also we're looking at down the road at, uh, at uh, getting into the bricks and mortar and doing some things ourselves, such as cheese. Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, that is, of course, of huge interest. I had one question before we go the the cheese route. Do you see um, any sort of uh, 
do you see new dairy farmers in the state? Um, do you see old dairy farms at all being sort of taken over by a uh, new generation of people who are interested in making milk? Or do you see, I don't know, is that is that not really a possibility for part oh, of the growth? Oh, it definitely is a possibility. We have, we have one of our newest members is a recent uh, dairy startup. Another uh, member is a, a farmer that went out of business and went back into it. So we are... Um, you know, we we are we are you know we really think we, like we're uh, as far as marketing, uh, we're getting our name out, we're getting our recognition to the point where we hope that we'll become an icon in Rhode Island. We just had a very successful successful marketing uh, campaign, working with the Girl Scouts, uh, doing uh, cookies in Rhode Fresh Milk. Oh, and we ended smart. up by uh, having a name the calf contest, which. Uh, uh, they didn't. We did. We ended up uh, having a, a two or three sessions on a local television show called The Road Show, and they actually went to one of the farms and took pictures of the calf and had the girl that picked the name uh, uh, Thin Mint uh, went <laughs> to uh, uh, see the calf. Well, it sounds like there's a great kind of support system and you know this like welcoming attitude in in Rhode Island about good dairy, which is which is always really nice to hear. Um, right. And Jim, if people want to find out more about Rhodey Fresh, is there a website that people can check out? Yes, uh, please go to uh, RhodeyFresh uh, dot com. Uh, just go on to www.rhodeyfresh.com. Fantastic. And so, well, we only have a couple more minutes, but if we could talk about just touch, you know, dip our toe in the water about future products and, and cheese included, um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about there? Well, we've been working for a long time trying to get together on cheese. Uh, we started uh, with uh, your your guest, Luella, and uh, she has uh, been a strong supporter of Rhodey Fresh, and we have been a strong supporter of her and the work that she's done. Um, we've been uh, actually uh, our purchased the, the cheese molds. We've hired a cheese maker, but we've had a couple of problems in getting the right uh, right site. Uh, we have had been working with two different locations and for zoning or, or what um, a number of different reasons, we haven't been able to go forward. But we are still working on it, and uh, we are hoping to make a butter case and a camembert. Oh, man, that Very sounds exciting. good. Yeah. <laughs> We've done a couple of test batches, and not only does it sound good, it tastes unbelievable. <laughs> well, Anna and I are great um, cheese eaters, so... Okay. If you need, if you need guinea pigs, yeah. we're always there for you. <laughs> we will definitely be in contact. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show today, um, and thank you for all of your great work with Rody Fresh. It's really inspiring. Well, thank you very much for contacting us. All right. Well, we will uh, be back in a minute with our second guest, Luella Hill. While he was scheming, I was dreaming in the beamer, just steaming. Can't believe that I called my men cheating. So I found another way to make him pay for it all. So I went to Neiman Marcus on a shopping spree. And on the way, I grabbed Sully and Mia. And as the cash box rang, I thought everything away. There goes the dream we used to say. There goes the time we spent away. There goes the love.
service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Tuesday at noon, Dave Arnold, the author of CookingIssues.com, will discuss new and innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients. Call in with your own questions to see if Dave and the crew can solve your cooking issues. Again, that's Tuesdays at noon on the Heritage Radio Network. And we are back on Cutting the Curd. That was the delicious musical stylings of Blue Cantrell, who yes. Sophie uh, discovered is from Rhode Island. Yeah, she's from Providence, which is <laughs> a little shocking. Just, yeah, everyone was like, what? Um, but so enough about Blue Cantrell. We are so excited to have Luella Hill back on the show. Luella is a cheesemaker and co-founder of the Narragansett Creamery. Uh, thanks so much, Luella, for coming back. Thanks for having me. I feel like here. I feel like this is this is so great because the first time you were on the show, we talked so much about your background and how you kind of fell in love with the world of cheese. And I remember we ran out of time at the end because we had so many questions about Narragansett Creamery. And so here we are. Now we can now we can go back and talk about all of it. Great, great. <laughs> um, so, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with uh, with the Federico family and how you uh, how you guys started the creamery? Sure. So, Mark and Patty Federico, they're the owners of Narragansett Creamery, and I I joined them to create Narragansett Creamery. What happened was I had been managing farmers markets with Farm Fresh, Rhode Island. And I had been noticing that there was no Rhode Island-made cheese available um, to, to Rhode Islanders. And so it had always been this thought in the back of my brain, like, how is this possible? This is <laughs> such an opportunity. Uh, and it was, I started meeting with uh, people at the Department of Health, with Steve uh, DeMeo, and everyone was very helpful. And I, what I was trying to do is uh, figure out what were the guidelines, what were the you know, um, health department requirements to having a cheese operation. Um, and so probably like the fourth or fifth meeting, um, Steve DeMeo said, you should really just go over and talk to Mark Federico. So I was like, I thought, what? Who? What? This is like a detail we missed? So lo and behold, on the other side of town, on the west side of town, Mark had been busy for many years uh, making fresh mozzarella curd um, in a you know, nondescript, um, building and that no one had ever, no one knew about um, because all and, until we put our heads together and formed Narragansett Creamery, um, all of that fresh mozzarella curd was going um, just into the wholesale market. So not a label that people recognized. Wow, mm. wow! And so the Federico family, how long had they been in the cheese making business? So Mark has been making cheese for at least three decades, if not more. I don't want to make him seem too old. (laughs) He's been making cheese for most of his life. Um, And, in fact, he grew up, um, his mom kept dairy goats. So he's really been in dairy his whole life. Wow. Wow. So that, and so tell, uh, so you started, you, you met the Federicos and then how did you sort of move the process forward to, I, I imagine it must be an interesting, you know, uh, thing to go into an existing business and say, Hey, like you want, you know, I've got an idea. Do you want to do this? Yeah. Well, I thought, I, I thought I was going to be the, cra- you know, sound crazy, but, um, honestly I stepped into Mark's office and I said, Mark, you know, 
I'm sort of, you know, savvy to the local food scene, and I, I just want to let you know you're a cheesemaker and making cheese in, in this state, and there's no known Rhode Island cheese available. And I was just kind of thinking maybe you could, you know, make some recipes, some small batches, some, you know, half-pound wedges, and get it out to market. And I really had barely spoken for five minutes when Mark said, I've been thinking the same thing, and for years I just have not had the time to get it together, get it off the ground. So it was very serendipitous. We barely talked for five minutes before we knew it was meant to be. Next thing, you were in your hairnet and boots, and you guys were just making (laughs) making cheese. Yeah, Yeah. and I actually said, I said, he said, what cheese should we start with? And I, I mean, that's such a big question. I was like, "Uh, well, what about a Gouda? And he goes, I happen to have all these Gouda molds. So he had really kind of been putting the pieces together. It just, it just needed one more bump in to get it in the, the creamery into existence, the wow. brand into existence. And how did customers respond, you know, when you first brought it to the market? Were people really excited and, you know, kind of on the same wavelength that been waiting for a Rhode Island cheese? Yeah, I think, to be honest, m- many people didn't even quite realize that there was no cheese being made in the state mm-hmm. because there's there's such a history of cheese, and um, especially I'm thinking about federal about um, Atwell's Avenue and Federal Hill. There used to be a shop that made cheese, um, or Supreme. There was a, there's a ricotta brand that used to be made in the state, and I think people didn't really realize that all those efforts had actually gone out of, you know, had moved out of state or gone out of business. Right. Um, if I can ask, so, what kind of cheeses were those that were being made? You mentioned ricotta, but the other one that on Atwell's? Uh, um, um, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, I, a varieties of fresh Italian cheeses. Fresh Italian cheeses. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So um, when we rolled out our cheese, we started off at the um, a little farmer's market in downtown, the winter farmer's market, and people were so happy at the market, even be, besides our cheese. There was just so much beautiful produce, and it was like a cold, drizzly, wintry Rhode Island day, and I think people stepped inside, and they were just already happy, and then they, they found our table, and they, they just gobbled up our cheese. So people were <laughs> really open-hearted from the beginning. Um, and very, very happy to support us. And then I would also say we were standing on the shoulders of a really rich food culture that was just recently there but had actually gone out of existence, meaning there was no... There was a lot of cheese being made at one point, but one, but not at least not for the last couple of years. Wow, that's so interesting. And so then, so you started off, um, you know, making this um, this Gouda-style cheese, and then can you tell us about the range of products that Narragansett Creamery produces today? Mm-hmm. So we're best known for our fresh cheeses, um, the ricotta, the Renaissance ricotta, because Providence is the Renaissance city, um, is our our proudest product. It's the gold medal winner, um, took a, a national gold medal. It is um, so good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love that stuff. <laughs> you can find it at Ann's shop. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's probably our most famous product. And then we also um, are w- very well known for our fresh mozzarella. And we, we stretch that into um, half-pound, eight-ounce balls. Um, also, we make um, the little chilagini. And we're making some bocaccini too. So a selection of fresh mozzarellas. And then um, also another 
So we're, we are most well-known for our fresh cheeses, which makes sense in that fresh cheeses are really meant to be local cheeses. So the last one that is very, very popular and really growing by leaps and bounds is our, our um, whole milk unhomogenized yogurt. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so we, we initially, I mean, the great thing about starting out just at the farmer's market was that we got to bring all of our experiments to the people and and we could it was okay if we just had two or three wheels of something um right. we got a lot of feedback from people initially by starting there and then um and then as we moved into stores we had really done product testing for a couple you know at least a year absolutely yeah that's a hard thing it, ha- it kind of uh it, growing it organically like that is so nice because like you said you know you can get your customers feedback and then you don't have to you're developing consistent cheeses is, is not an easy thing so that is a very mm-hmm. sh- very smart way to go um and uh and so where do you see the um you know narragansett creamery going in the future do you think that uh you'll develop other um you know new and different kinds of cheeses or do you think you're really going to focus on on these fresh ones that are so wonderful and and brought you such you know success i it's hard my style as a cheesemaker um is i'm definitely more on the artistic side i I think of cheesemakers as a spectrum of strict scientific all the way to crazy artistic Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um and i definitely fall more towards the artistic side um meaning i i really have to push myself to take good notes during the make process and really write things down and really try and monitor the temperature and the pH and not just be willy-nilly. But the consequences of being that way, and Patty Federico, Mark's wife, is also that way in the make room. She likes to add a little taste of this and then has an idea and mixes in a little of this. Um, So the our characters lend themselves to new cheeses. So um, mm-hmm. definitely new cheeses. Um, we're trying, we um, just got an, an improved cooker stretcher on our mozzarella, for our mozzarella. So we're um, really trying to think about how do we, um, how do we grow our mozzarella business. Um, since we cook, the best mozzarella is made and, stre- you know, made at the vat, stretched, sold eaten you know within just a few days so we really want to boost up um the amount that we're making and that people are enjoying um can you tell us a little bit about that i mean it's funny i feel like yeah mozzarella ideally should be eaten like the same day it's made right people always say like oh if you don't put it in the refrigerator it's like you know it's so much better yeah, we get customers at the farmers markets who ask us if if um, it's been refrigerated between the stretching and we're arriving at market. Um, unfortunately, the Department of Health requires that the core temperature of our cheeses be at 39 degrees as it leaves the creamery. So, um, haven't we haven't figured out how to get an unchilled cheese out to our customers and especially like when we deliver to stores they have to make sure that it's the the core temperature is down but 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 traditionally you're absolutely right the cheese is never refrigerated you know they're they're these cheeses come from places where you know, hot. 100 years ago there weren't even refrigerator you know there weren't refrigerators it was like you made the cheese and ate the cheese right yeah well it, it makes sense what you what you said earlier the you know, best local cheese is, is fresh cheese. So 
Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that quote. Fresh yeah. cheeses are meant to be local cheeses. <laughs> um, yeah. So can I have, where do you guys uh, source the milk for making your cheeses? Do you, um, we were talking with uh, Jim Hines earlier in the show. Do you guys work in conjunction with Rody Fresh or do you get your milk from other sources? So we, um, I, Jim's an old friend and I have, as he said, I've um, been an advocate and a supporter of Rody Fresh since it began. Um, the creamery buys through um, two different dairy co-ops, um, St. Albans Dairy Co-op and Agrimark. And um, those two co-ops actually can overlap a little bit. So we, what we're able to do is ask the co-op that our milk comes as locally as possible. And what that translates to is that most of our milk actually comes from um, southern Vermont, central Mass, and then we get eastern Connecticut and um, some Rhode Island milk. So there could be overlap um, just in this complicated web of milk transport um there could be there there very much is likely rhode island milk in our cheeses but we don't purchase through roadie fresh cooperative exclusively well that makes sense because they sell they sell their milk you know their fluid milk directly to customers so it seems like yeah they have their own it's almost a separate um a separate channel of of distribution going on um, sort of overlap. I mean, because we're so small, but and so trucks could pass. You, do you know what I mean? Like we could, we could get a milk delivery from the Tomaquag Valley Trucking Company, which could be trucking maybe the day before the Rody Fresh milk. So, but yeah, for the most part, we aren't able to. But but we are excited for them in getting um, you know their next products on the market. Absolutely. Um, well, and this, uh, this always happens, but yeah. we're almost out of time again. But if people want to learn more about Narragansett Creamery and the wonderful cheeses you make, um, is there, what's the best uh, website to, to visit? They can find us at richeeses.com, www.richeeses. Um, or you can look for us, Narragansett Creamery, also on Facebook. And um, and before I jump off, I know you're out of time. I just wanted to say there's two other cheesemakers in the state that we're really excited have come on board in the last little bit. Oh, great. Oh, and, yeah. Um, we need, tell us. Tell one, us. One is Simmons Family Farm in Middletown. They um, have been trying so hard for at least a decade to get to, you know, legally produce um cheeses with their goat's milk and they finally made it happen just in the past couple of months um, <laughs> yeah we're so excited and then um reynolds family farm um also is making a goat cheese and i think you can find those only at farmers markets i think there's really limited supply but but my dream as you can imagine <laughs> is really that we get a you know a whole cheese board of rhode island cultured dairy products together so we could have a whole rhode island cheese trail <laughs> or, um, Rhode Island visitors to the state. I think if anybody can do it, it's you. <laughs> you are you are so you. like passionate and um, just yeah dedicated and have done such great work. It's it's awesome. Well, um, well, I hope so too. I think you yeah. know it, with the way the cheese is going in this country, I have no doubt that you know within the next ten years we'll probably have a cheese plate and then some. <laughs> great. Um, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really happy well. to talk about near against the creamery oh thank you so much and uh we will be back next monday with another uh curdling episode <laughs> of cutting the curd hosted by ann saxelby you're listening to cutting thanks the for curd. listening to this program on the heritage radio network 
You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. The USDA has introduced the My Plate icon. I'm sure you've all seen that in the news, replacing the food pyramid that was in use for 19 years. This colorful icon contains portions of fruits, vegetables, grains, protein, and a little side dish of dairy. It can be viewed at www.choosemyplate.gov. It does look like a plate. It's divided into four quadrants. Um, They are surprisingly similarly sized. Vegetables, fruits, proteins, grains... Um, the veg are definitely a little bit larger than the other groups, but protein was really big. I was surprised. I thought we were supposed to eat less meat. Each component of the plate can be clicked on for a drop-down menu that explains portion size, healthy choices, nutritional information, etc. It offers significantly more information to consumers, but it is a little bit more complicated to use. We'll see if people actually look at it. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Check out a small clip of Chef Smarty Pants, a.k.a. Erica Wides, talking about radishes on her show, Why We Cook. Those supermarket radishes were like that. They were all heat and no flavor and woody and tough, and they were always kind of beat up and buggy looking, and they looked like crap. I don't understand why they were sold. They were in that plastic bag all sealed up for like six months. Why buy them? We always put them into our salad growing up, and I would just pick them out. And my mom still buys them. She still buys those bags. To me, those bags of radishes are like the ultimate symbol of industrial produce. They're grown for size and for color, but they taste like balls of wood dipped in nail polish remover. I don't understand why people would eat them. So I never understood the appeal of the radish until... Want to hear more? Tune in live to Why We Cook every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., where you can find all the old shows on our archives. Also, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening. The following is a message from HeritageFoodsUSA.com. The difference between wild Alaskan salmon and farmed Atlantic salmon is just as great as the differences between commodity pork and heritage breed pork. Huge! HeritageFoodsUSA.com is lining up a major social buy of sustainably harvested salmon in July and offering it at a phenomenal price to consumers. Check out HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more details on how to get in on this opportunity. Experience salmon the way it should be. The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit JustFood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat.